We are so excited that you're listening today. At New Hope Church, we are committed to making fully devoted followers of Jesus. This week, Pastor David is teaching us about missions. At New Hope Church, missions is an important part of following Jesus. But what if there is more to it? Join us this week to learn more. All the time. <laughs> there you go. I got what I'm excellent. God is good all the time. He is. Well, thank you for being here and thank you for uh, being a part of what we're doing here this summer. As we transition from our last series where we're talking about those people, the people we deal with, live with, love on, encourage, and somehow try to uh, uh, go through life with is not always easy. This, now we're transitioning to a summer uh, series that we're going to kick off next week. Don't want to miss it. It's going to be super cool. It's going to go all summer long, and I really mostly love the title, but I'm not going to tell you what it is yet because I'll ruin the surprise. But that starts next Sunday. This week we're going to do a very special talk because we have a very special group of people, hint, hint, picture, a very special special group of people uh, who just took off yesterday morning. We met here at 9 o'clock. They had a 6 p.m. flight out of Miami. So that tells you how incredibly important preparation and being on time was for their team leader, Eric. He had a meet here at 9 o'clock in the morning. They're there. And they're getting ready for a mission trip. They took off yesterday at 6 p.m., got into Guatemala City super late, but plenty of time to go have some delicious food, settle in for a good short night's rest, and by now, they're already up and running. You know, there's two hours behind in Guatemala. So uh, as we pray this morning and all week for them, we'll be able to pray ahead of time as they get ready. And remember what they're doing. They're uh, building a house this week. They're handing out a number of water filtration systems, kind of going from house to house, blessings different families with those. And then also these prepackaged uh, bags of $25 worth of groceries, which goes almost an entire month for a small family or for a widow and her children. And they'll be going from door to door, of course, sharing the, the, uh, the groceries, but also sharing the gospel message as they go. And then at the end of the week, they'll be doing a number of evangelistic children's activities for kids in different neighborhoods and different parts of that, of that very large, kind of scary, big city. So you want to pray for them all week. And here's what we're talking about today. Mission trips. Here's what you, I want you to walk out the door with. Don't go on a mission trip. Amen. No, that, 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 that's it. I want you to walk out the door with that simple message. Don't go on a mission trip. That's the whole theme. You got it in a nutshell. I hope you're taking notes. I don't want you to miss it. That's the big takeaway today. Don't go on a mission trip. Oh, you're right. There's a little bit more, isn't there? There's a little bit more. What we want you to do is instead of going once a year for six or seven nights on a mission trip to Guatemala, to Cuba, Lord willing, one day back to Spain with me, my kids, they take off in a couple months to go to China to be missionaries. Lord willing, maybe one day some of us will go one day on a mission trip to China. That's all fine and good for the six days, seven days, ten days, three days, whatever that looks like. But what we want to talk about today is instead of going on a mission trip, living a life on mission right here every day. And then that mission trip is coming out of the overflow of a life lived on mission right here in Cape Coral. Well, what does that look like? There's an excellent Bible story I want to open up with you guys and read. If, if you've been around me at all, you've heard me talk about this guy. His name is Philip. Philip 
he crosses paths with this, with this foreigner, this Ethiopian eunuch out in the middle of the desert, and God brings this perfect combination of, of Bible knowledge and a willing heart and an open mouth to a, a, a guy who's at the top of the world in his world, but with lots of questions and no answers. And God brings these two guys together at just the right time to work in both their lives to change, I think, not only their lives, but all of history. So if you have a Bible, open up to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. We're going to dig in. Now today, it's going to be um, a, lot of, a lot of kind of like teaching. In fact, I'm even going to give you uh, three different actual evangelistic tools. So I know we only give you a little bitty space here for, for sermon notes. You're going to want to use every bit of that today. If you need a pen, wave your hand. Maybe, maybe someone can share a pen with you. But you really want to take notes on this because these three tools are super easy. It's the kind of stuff that we share with our mission teams before they go on the mission field. But we can use these ideas right here. So, so as you open up to Acts chapter 8, get ready to take some notes. And especially when we get to the part where I start sharing these evangelistic tools. Okay, look at Acts chapter 8. Y'all find it? Verse number 4, we're going to start there. We're not going to make it too far into the story. Acts chapter 8, verse number 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip, he's our hero, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Okay, stop right now. Okay, the first question is how? How, uh, excuse me, uh, when, excuse me, when, when do we do this? When do we go and proclaim the gospel, share the gospel, evangelize? And the word here in the Bible is preach. How does that happen? Well, let me give you a little backstory here. This is right after Jesus uh, was killed on the cross, rose from the grave, and then returned to heaven. Remember that? And then Jesus kind of gave the great commission to his disciples. He even promised him the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he said, meet me in that place. They met him in that place. Who shows up? Bam! These little lights and, and candles and fire over them. They begin speaking in other languages, preaching out on the street. 3,000 people get saved after sermons, after Peter's first sermon. I mean, incredible stuff. Clearly, the Holy Spirit brought everything up three or four notches. It was incredible time. And right then, the bad news is that meant the world started to take notice of what God was doing. And the persecution started led by a guy, a guy named Saul. You may know him by his later name, Paul. Paul was right there in the middle of things. He was grabbing men and women, even children out of their homes, throwing them in jail, taking away all their possessions. He was kin to those who were even killing Christians. I mean, persecution was brought to a whole nother level at this time. And Philip was one of the guys that gets scattered. So let's look at these two words to understand better what it means. When are we involved in evangelizing? The word persecution is uh, diogmos, it's a, it's a Greek word. It doesn't, you know, you and I, we, we say we experience persecution. We talk about the, the way the world is going and the way things are going here in America and, and our, our kids are being persecuted in school or we're being persecuted in church, in um, in the workplace just because, you know, we can't wear a cross around our neck or, you know, we're not allowed to say a prayer at the end of a, of a basketball game and, and we call that persecution. You got no idea. <laughs> Sorry, folks. You got no idea. In fact, this word, the, the word that God chose to use in the Bible, there's, there's many different words for, for persecution in the, in the old Greek. This one means to hunt down in order to kill or obliterate. <laughs> 
This wasn't, hey, put that cross back in your shirt, kid. Hey, take off that Christian t-shirt, kid. You can't wear that around here. No, 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 no. This is hunt down with a weapon with the goal of killing or obliterating. That's what we're talking about. So this was going on, and then God says they scattered. And again, that word has an interesting meaning. It doesn't mean like, like a farmer would, would sow seeds. You remember this. You've, I'm sure you've seen it in movies, or maybe you've done it yourself. I know we have some, some farmers that grew up on a farm. Maybe you even sowed some seed yourself, maybe some grass seed. This word means not just sow, but to sow beyond. So it's, it's a combination word. So God is saying he not only spread them out, he spread them out to faraway places. He chucked them out as far as they would go. And so they would spread out as far away from that location as they could get. So what is God saying here? When is it time to begin preaching? Well, the word preaching here is really simply the word evangelize. You know, a lot of times we put that off and say, well, preaching, obviously, that's for the paid staff. Those guys that went off to seminary and spent three years learning how to do it. We pay them money to stand up on Sunday morning and they preach. That's not me. That's not the word God's using. He's using the word, exact word we use in English, evangelize, euangelion, those who simply tell the good news. So what is all this saying to you and me today? God purposely spreads us out. God purposely takes us from Virginia Beach and brings us down to Florida, takes us from Miami, Florida, takes us all the way to Spain. God takes us from Cape Coral, Florida, and takes us all the way to Guatemala City. God loves to spread us out. Sow us out far away so that we can preach, we can share the gospel every day. But what does that mean? Problem is a lot of us think that, no, this isn't for me. This is for the paid staff. This is for the professionals. I don't get involved in all this. And certainly not if I'm being persecuted and going through something right now, Pastor. This is clearly for folks in that picture. They, they must have extra time on their hands, probably got a week's worth of vacation they don't got to worry about. Oh, they're teenagers. They don't have school. They got all the time in the world. Well, they, they're able to, to raise funds or save up money or pay for it. Those are special folks. I can't, I can't do stuff like that. But God's saying, no, this is exactly when it's time to do it, when you can't do it, when you have a long list. If anyone had a long list of excuses why they couldn't, shouldn't, or wouldn't want to share the good news of the gospel, it was guys like Philip that were being chased out of their home. Literally, their homes were taken, and they were running for their lives. And the Bible says, who was it that was sharing the gospel, who was talking boldly about the good news? The very people who had lost everything. God is calling us to tell the good news. God is calling us to be uh, not a part of simply a pre-planned, organized trip once a year to check it off of our guilt list but to be involved in this every day of our lives. I'll give you a good example. Every Tuesday night, uh, a group of us go on what we call front porch visits. And we say it that way be, to remind us, but also to remind the folks that we're visiting that we have no intention of going into their house. I mean, this is America after all, and I don't know if they're packing. So we just simply knock on the door, and this isn't like random door-to-door -door kind of stuff. These are folks who have visited us first. Now, I guess I should have warned you, but if you filled out one of those ca uh, cards, chances are we're going to knock on your door on Tuesday night. If you visited our church in the last three or four months, 
and you filled out one of those cards, you can probably testify, yeah, some strange people knocked on my door, or I wasn't there, and they left a little bag of goodies for me, but that's kind of our MO. That's how we do it. We don't go to total strangers, but if, if you have visited us, and we only stay on the front porch, if at all possible, we only stay 5 or 10, 15 minutes just chatting, answering questions, thanking them for their visit, and asking if we can pray for them. Well, in this team is a guy named Dave, the same as me. We try to organize it that way so our visitors don't have trouble remembering all of our names. So I got this guy named Dave to go with me, and Dave Schwein, he uh, is trouble. Uh, we're, on a, we're on a mission. We have our list of houses that we're supposed to visit, and, and it's kind of tight on time because, you know, we have to do it after they get home from work, but before it gets dark because, again... This is America, and I don't know if they're packing. So, so we have this very short window of time, and, and we've got to get all the houses. Uh, because I'm American, and I have a list, and i got to check them all off. So we have to get to all the houses. But Dave, he'll start talking to folks. Well, he's supposed to talk to who we're talking to, but he'll start talking to total strangers, and they're not on my list. Anytime you turn around, you don't find Dave, there he is talking to someone else. And we're like, Dave, we... We got a list. We, we got folks we're supposed to visit. He's over there sharing the gospel, telling the good news to anyone he meets. Dave, <laughs> he should know better, right? That's not how you do it. Tell him the good news. That's a special thing. Once a year when you fly away with the team and intense, you just do it. If at all possible with people, you'll never see it again. But Dave, he'll, he'll talk to anybody. He'll talk to his own neighbors. He'll talk to people he's probably going to see the next day at the grocery store. Dave, God is calling us now. The answer to when is now. In fact, let me give you a simple little tool that I use uh, a lot with children, but, but also is it, a great reminder. It's one of those tools I just want to hand out there. Just use it if you can. If not, that's okay. I pray that one day God will allow you to use a simple tool. How do you share the gospel? You know, sometimes we forget how to do it. We don't remember all the verses. We don't remember all the things to say. What if I do it wrong? Oh my, something bad will happen. Trust me, it won't, but, but here's, here's a simple tool, your hand. Most of us have it, at least one, sometimes two. And so, and most of us have on that hand at least five fingers, not always, but usually. So we're going to start out with the thumb. This is a simple way to share the gospel. Again, I use it with kids, but you can use it to help you remember how to do it. You know, this sign means good, good job, way to go. And that's a reminder that I have good news for you. God loves you. That's a great lead in. Always start with that one. God loves you. But you got a problem. Remember when grandma used to wag her finger in your face? You did something wrong, didn't you? There's a problem. There's sin in our life. And that sin, even though God loves us, that sin separates us from God. In fact, our middle finger, and again, not everyone's like this, but usually your middle finger is the tallest finger. That sin is like a wall between us and God, even though God loves us. That sin, the things that we've done wrong, the errors we've made, the things we've thought or not thought, that becomes like a wall, a big wall between us and God. The only way to get over through around that wall is through a relationship. I, I happen to wear a ring on my finger. It's a, it's a symbol of the relationship that I have with my wife, Chanel. I'm married to her, and so I have to have a relationship with God. It's not about religion. It's not about church. It's not about a preacher. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And all it takes is a little, a little finger, a little bit of faith 
You simply say, Lord, I believe in you. I don't know everything. I don't understand everything, Lord, but with my little bit of faith, I believe in you. And together, look what we can do. Alone, you know, we, uh, we can barely hold the phone. We can barely hold anything. But if we hold all that together, God is good understand our sin, understand the problem we have getting around it. We have that relationship with him and that little bit of faith. Look what's together. I, I couldn't pull that faith out of my hand if I tried. It's got a grip on me, and that's how God has a grip on our hearts. That's a simple tool. You know, use that you know, with kids or as a simple reminder as you're sharing with someone, whether you're like Dave talking to the neighbor we weren't supposed to visit <laughs> or talking to a friend of yours in your town. Let's move on. When? And now how? How do we share that? Look at the next verses. <clears throat> Verse 6. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. I found this interesting. Of all the places for there to be joy, you and I here in church, we think, and there was great joy among the believers. <laughs> or there was great joy among the Christians. Or there was great joy among the pastors because they had more numbers to count. That's not at all what it says. It says there was great joy. Where? Inside? No, outside the walls of the church. Why? At the very top. When the crowds, and crowd is always a word for people outside. Just if you remember Bible, as you're reading through your Bible, when you read that word crowd, the crowd are always the people outside, okay? When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs, hearing and seeing, that is so important. Again, we're not talking about a once-a-year mission trip where you're excited about the adventure or the pastor guilts you into it or your best friend's going along or maybe you truly desire to tell those folks about Jesus because you love them and because they're far away from home. Whatever the reason is, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about your friends, your neighbors, the people you live with, seeing and hearing you live out the gospel. Where you say, I, 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 I preach the gospel every day with my actions. That sounds super spiritual, doesn't it? I live out the gospel in front of my workmates. And I, I live out the gospel in front of my parents. And I... I, I demonstrate how much I love the Lord at home, but I don't, I don't really cram it down their throat with my words. God's talking here about both. This great joy that was felt throughout the whole city was because they not only saw, but they also heard. It is so important. They, it is a both and, not just hearing, but also seeing, and also not just seeing, but also hearing. This is a missional lifestyle, not a one-time mission trip or a one-time vacation Bible school week or one-time revival. It is all week long, all month long, all year long. Uh, the summer after my first year at University of Florida, I came home to Florida, to Miami, and I was at a, at a party at a friend's house that I knew from church. And, uh, and I was there and seeing everybody, kind of catching up with all my old high school friends. And there was a guy there that, honestly, I was kind of surprised to see at this party because, you know, it wasn't like it was a church party, but everyone there, you know, they're kind of Christians, either from, from the church I grew up in or, or other churches that I knew. So... He and I finally had a chance to kind of chat. I'm like, hey, dude, you're here. And he said the same thing to me. He said, yeah, David, you're here. And I'm like, well, yeah. I was a little bit offended. 
You know, I, I grew up in the church. I was the president of the youth group in the church. I had already heard God's call on my life to go to seminary and be a preacher I, that young in my life. And I'm like, yeah, I'm here. He said, oh. And I, dude, I, 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 I've been a Christian for like 10 years. I, I, I grew up in church. He said, oh. We'd gone to school like for six years, middle school and high school. And he said, Dave, I, uh, I didn't know. That hurt. I thought I'd been living it out. I thought I'd been talking about it. I thought I'd been very open about my faith. But this is a buddy I've been to school with for six years. He didn't know. Folks, sometimes we, we think folks see. We think folks understand. You know, when, when they sneeze and we say, God bless you, clearly they've got to understand that I'm sharing the word of God with them. But God wants them to not only see it, he wants them to hear it. How? And then let's move on to who. Look at verse, uh, verse 26. We're taking a big jump. Chapter 8 still, but we're jumping all the way to verse 26. There's so much in this story, we're not going to be able to get to all of it, but, but stick with me, verse 26. Who should go? Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then next, so he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian. little jump. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Look at verse 29. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Uh, let's just stop right there. We're going to get to the rest in a minute. Okay, who should go? What kind of person? Did you hear it right there in verse 26 and again in verse 29? He's, he's hearing the word of an angel. The spirit of the Lord is talking to him verbally. He's hearing these things as if it's a normal conversation between you and me. The, ver, the word of the Lord, the word of the spirit, the word of an angel is speaking to him. And then immediately he's going and doing it. Who does that? What kind of a person is, is like Philip. I, I told you already, Philip is kind of a hero for me, but how in the world could I be a Philip as soon as the word speaks it, the Lord speaks it, as soon as the Spirit says it, as soon as the angel even utters a word, Philip is right there on it. How does that happen? How can you be like Philip? Who can be like Philip? I think there's three ways we can be like him. Number one, he recognized their voice, whether it was the angel, whether it was the Spirit, whether it was the Lord himself. As soon as they spoke to him, he recognized their voice. How? How did he know it was really God speaking? You ever had that happen to you? You feel inside, you really ought to, you really ought to pull over and help somebody you see on the side of the road or... Or, or you're sitting in a room and, and maybe someone's crying over there in the corner and, and you feel in your spirit, you know, I really probably should go over and, and, and talk with that person or just put my arm around them and just kind of listen. Or, or maybe you come into a room and everyone's kind of chit-chatting and you see one person kind of all the way in the back all by themselves and something inside you says, hey, maybe I should go over and just kind of chat that guy or chat that girl up and just kind of be a friend to him. You ever had that feeling? How did you know that was God? Could have been someone else. How did Philip know this was God for his spirit, his uh, angel, or the Lord himself? He was familiar with those voices. 
when you hear those voices over and over again, every single day, you know God's voice. Jesus said, my sheep, they know my voice. He said it in the New Testament. It is true today. We should know the voice of God when he's speaking to us. How? In our daily quiet time. If we're speaking to him, if we're listening to him, if we're understanding what he's saying, if we give him an opportunity to speak. The problem is we are so stinking busy with our phones, with our computers, with our lives, with our children's lives, with the world, with the church. I'm just as guilty pouring on more stuff on you guys, filling up your calendars with stuff. We need to stop and just listen. Give God the opportunity to talk so we can train our ears to recognize his voice. Number two, it was a willingness it was a willingness to go against human logic. We, we didn't have time to read the backstory to the story here in chapter 8, but Philip was right in the middle of a revival. And not just any revival, he was in Samaria. Samaria, they were the arch enemies of the Israelites, remember? Kind of like us in Canada. So he was over there in Canada. It was, that's a joke, we don't hate Canada. Really. Uh, and so he was in Canada, uh, in Samaria, and he was telling them about Jesus, and, and revival broke out. We just read a little bit of it in verse 4, but even before you read even more, people were getting saved, churches were getting started, lives were being changed. I mean, it was dramatic. It was incredible. Every preacher's dream. And any preacher with the good sense would tell you, hey, if God's moving like this, don't leave. This is clearly where God wants you. But what does God do? God goes and calls him through his angel, speaks to him through the Spirit. He wants to drag him away from this awesome, incredible, clearly God-ordained experience and bring him all the way over here in the desert all by himself for one guy, a foreigner? That can't be right. We have to be willing to go wherever God calls us, even if it doesn't make human logical sense. And then third, there needs to be obedience. So he went. The Bible says right there in verse um, 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south. And look at verse 27. So he started out. And then again, verse 29. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot obedience. Every time God spoke to him, immediately he responded. Every time God gave him a command, immediately he reacted. Every time God opened a door for him, immediately he walked through that door. As we do that with the little things in our lives, like, like pulling over and helping someone we see, or chatting with someone that seems to be all alone, or, or comforting someone that seems to be crying, these are little things. I mean, anyone would get that. But as we take these baby steps and we trust him in these little things, God trains our hearts to be able to and willing to do the big things. Moving on to the last one. Now the what. The what. Look at verse 30, uh, 31. Well, actually the end of 30. Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. How can I understand unless someone explains? Folks, this is crucial. 
Let me give you quickly two final tools, and then we'll have to call it a day. We may have to come back to this topic again later, but two final tools. One tool is the whole explaining. How can I understand? You've got to understand, this guy, this eunuch guy, you, you probably won't run across many eunuchs nowadays, but, but this guy, you'll, you'll run across guys like him. He was at the top of his game. In his country, he was second in command, highly educated, very wealthy, incredible amount of power. I mean, he was the top of the top. And Philip was just this little preacher boy running around the desert. I mean, what are the chances that their lives cross paths? Only God could do that. So this guy, at the top of his game with everything anyone, well, um, almost everything anyone would want to have, he had questions. He couldn't answer all the things that were aching in his heart. And he says to Philip, this little preacher boy, how can I unless someone explains it? Well, how do we explain it? Let me show you a video that does an excellent job. And this is another tool we're going to put on our... That's an excellent tool that you could use to share with your friends, especially young people share it on social media. They can check it out on their own. How do we explain the whole idea of who Jesus is and what it means to accept him? And that's, that gives a very clear picture of what it looks like. I'll give you one final tool, and this is a great idea. You may want to take notes on this. We're going to take it up right to the very end with this. So uh, just stick with me. As I show this, this is something that I've shared literally with every single person I've ever shared the gospel with. This is something I would sit down with someone at a, at a cafe or at a restaurant that came into the church office, pull out a piece of paper or a napkin if we're at a cafe, and I would just simply draw this little picture. If it's a couple of adults, I'd, I'd explain, listen, I hope you don't mind. This helps me to kind of draw it out. I hope it helps you. Do you mind if I just draw out kind of what I'm talking about? I've never had anyone tell me no. Because again, this is in the context of relationship. Someone, a guy or a gal that I've already been talking to about, about Christianity, about faith. And what I say is simply this. God loves all of us. And he created us. To live in relationship with him. The problem is that there is this separation between us and God. And the Bible calls it sin. And that simply means uh, everything we've ever done wrong. Everything we've ever thought wrong. Everything we haven't done that is right. All that stuff gets piled up in the middle and it separates us from God. But the, here's the deal. God is like this huge magnet. He is constantly, the Bible tells us that. He is constantly drawing us to himself. We as humans, we're born. Some of us are born maybe a little bit closer to God. Maybe mom and dad were Christians and they, they drug us to church on Sunday mornings. They took us to youth group and we uh, start out a little closer. Some start out a little further. Some start out really far away. Mom and dad were not believers. In fact, maybe they were even atheists. They were against God. They fought against it. So wherever we start, the difference is every single one of us is involved in a process, whether it's finding a Bible in a hotel room, whether it's listening to a Christian program on the radio, whether it's uh, dating a girl or a guy that's a believer and starts taking us to church, whether it's a workmate that begins sharing the gospel with us, whatever it is, however creative way God uses to bring us closer to himself, he's drawing us closer to ourselves. And, I, and the, my friend, let's call him uh, Frank. Frank, I'll say, Frank, you know, you and I, we've been talking for a long time. You know, we've been answering a lot of your Bible questions for quite a while now, and you've been listening. You know, uh, you've grown a little bit, and they'll say, yeah, I have. The problem is there's a very dangerous spot, and the dangerous spot is right here on the very end. Because when you get to the end, 
you know, you probably have a Bible in your house. You probably heard a bunch of Bible stories. You know what it's like to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christian. You can even act like a Christian. Heck, on Sunday morning, folks might not even know that you're not yet a Christian because you're there almost every Sunday. And at this point, the danger is that we begin living just like a Christian with all the knowledge we have, but the problem is it's still stuck here. We start trying to do things that are good, like we, 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 uh, we stopped doing some things that were really bad. Well, that's good, but even that's going to come up short. Or we start doing some new things that we know God wants us to do. That's great, but even that's going to come up too short. Or we start learning some things we never knew before out of God's word, and we start reading his word, maybe even every day. That's great. But even that is going to come up too short. There is no way for us to bridge this gap to God, even though he himself is drawing us, unless, and of course you saw it coming, didn't you? The cross. The cross is the only bridge between us, our separation, and God. Here's the deal I tell them. This, Frank, you're all Frank, this Frank was a process. It takes weeks, it takes months, it takes years for some people. All of us are involved in this process. The deal is eventually we get to this point. This is the most dangerous point. We have a lot of head knowledge. And we start doing things, but in our own power. But the more we do, the more we realize it's just not enough. Even though this is a process, here's the deal, Frank. The only way for you to land on Jesus' side is not a process, but a decision. A simple prayer when that information is all in your head about God, about his word, it slides from your head down to your heart, Frank. And you simply pray, you ask God to forgive you of your sins, you ask him to be your savior, and you ask him to be your Lord, to take over the control of your life. And in that prayer, in that moment, in that uh, brief time, you actually jump, no more process is needed, but you jump from one side to the next. And here's the deal, on this side, guess what, Frank? You start a whole new process. The process to get baptized, the process to start sharing your faith, the process to become a fully devoted follower of Christ, and this process carries you on into eternity. So, I draw this little picture and I explain that little story to Frank. I take my pen, I lay it down on the picture, and I slide the picture in front of Frank. I say, Frank, tell me, we've been talking about this for a while, can you show me where you are in this picture? Frank will think about it for a little bit. I've never had anyone, anyone say here. Because if they were back here, I probably wouldn't, you know, share this much. A lot of times they'll say, you know, I'm right here, Dave. <laughs> sometimes they'll say, I'm right here. <laughs> or sometimes they'll say, I'm right here. Whatever they say really is not that important what they say. Because, again, this is a relationship. You know Frank. You have coffee or you work together, you go to school together, or he's in your family. I mean, you're going to see Frank again. It's okay. But wherever they are, you ask, first of all, one question. What prevents you from landing here? Or what prevents you from taking the next step? And then, boom, you have this whole new conversation. Or as the conversation's finished, boom, you know the next time you get together, he was here. You say, hey, Frank, have you thought any more about it? Have you prayed any more about it? Have you landed here yet? And boom, you have this whole new conversation. This is an excellent tool for us to use in relationships that we already have with people that are already close to us, that we already know. There's already a trust level between us, but you can share that. That's awfully small. You can come up and see it later and take notes. But I would encourage you guys to use this. 
Folks, this is a lot of information. I get it. Our goal here at this church is to connect you to God, connect you to each other, connect you to serving here in the church, but also connect you to the mission. And the mission is not only going on a mission trip. That's also part of it. Praise God. I hope we do even more. But to, before we do that, we want to be on mission right here in Cape Coral using tools like this or tools like the video or tools like the hand. I don't really care. You can, in fact, we have these little flyers that Paul talked about. That may be your next step. Before you can get, work up your nerve to do something like this, that may be your next step. Just simply leave one of those invites uh, with the tip at the restaurant this afternoon. That may be a big step for you. Go for it. And then we'll talk next week about the next step. But whatever your next step is, we're encouraging you as a church to take that next step, to be on mission with and for God in Cape Coral. Let's pray. Father God, your word is so clear about this, and there's so many examples about this in the Bible. God, I just pray that we as believers, you know, living 2,000 years later, we wouldn't forget about those things. We wouldn't assume it's already been handled or taken care of. God, that we would never become so formalized and organized and traditionalized that we assign those roles to special people with special time on their hand. God, I pray that each one of us would realize that this is our responsibility. We thank you, Jesus, and we love you, Jesus. Thank you so much for listening this week to the New Hope Church podcast. If you live in and around Cape Coral, Florida, we would love to have you visit our church campus. If you would like some more information about us, we can be found at www.newhopecapecoral.com.